Good morning, Craig. How are you this morning? <laughs> good, good. I've been up for about 24 hours. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So everybody's tired for different reasons. Absolutely. I hope I could still bring the funny. <laughs> Why would you start now? <laughs> Got him. Oof. <laughs> okay, let's do it. That's it. Let's do it, boys. <laughs> that, that was going to be my intro. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what <he> said. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, when that came across the screen, audio, I was like, what? <laughs> what are we in for? <laughs> why, why do I have a sultry Sylvester Stallone going, okay, boys, let's do it. Did he, what did he say? It was a boys? I don't remember now. No, just okay. Okay, let's do it. Oh, that's right. So just with that intro alone, what was your feeling that this movie is supposed to be? What is the tone that sets for the movie? For any movie, if you've never seen this before. Well, that followed by the typical 80s kind of music intro. I thought it was going to be like a rocking good time. I thought it was going to be, you know, lethal weapon like. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Stallone Podcast Network show. This is Ryan. I host the Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast. So you're probably hearing this on your feed if you're a listener of my show. And you can catch all of the shows that we've done we have a YouTube channel that has all of our reviews of the Sylvester Stallone films that we've covered so far. Check that out on YouTube. Yeah, hi, I'm Craig from the Slycast, and uh, what we do is we chronologically go through Stallone's career, and we're taking our time doing it, and we're currently in the mid-90s. I'm just curious, what what movie in the mid-90s are you, are you on? <laughs> I believe, and I have to check my notes, that uh, our next episode will be Judge Dredd. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> Stop. I, 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 I want the record to show that I love Craig so much. I love him like a brother, and I love I love having him on the show or podcasting with him. And there's a part of me that hopes Judge Red never gets released. <laughs> <laughs> this is the longest-running joke in podcast history. It really is. I have to go back to our archives to see when we first started mentioning this, but I think it might have been the first episode. The first episode of The Specialist? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Seems like yesterday, but boy, it's been over a year or something now. A year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Ryan almost spit out his Tim Hortons when uh, when you said that. Greetings, everybody. I'm Doug. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of Rocky Minute. Uh, we go through the um, Rocky movies one minute at a time, and those minutes are chronological, just like uh, Craig's Stallone career. We <laughs> complete a Rocky one, we complete a Rocky two, and we are still recording, banking our episodes for Rocky three. Doug, you got to be careful. Uh, you're going to turn into Craig here with your Rocky Three release. I know that this one is is our albatross so far. <laughs> Rocky Three is your Judge Dread. <laughs> We're getting it out. I promise. I just don't know when. <laughs> I know. I can't wait, and I and I can't wait for the Judge Dread episode of the Slide Castle one day release, and my interview that I did with Craig regarding Creed Two. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see to hear what I talked about. I forget now at this point. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know what? I was going to try and release that on the one year anniversary of, of uh, <laughs> two coming out in theaters, and then that came and went. I do have an excuse. We, we moved, and you guys both know 
you know how time consuming a move is and oh yeah ryan if i remember correctly our discussion about creed 2 was pretty lengthy and then i also have one in the vault with my kunda um, which also was pretty long both those discussions warrant a good edit you know just because it was such a good discussion and, and it's also going to be really interesting to listen back to those because it was really close to us all seeing that movie i think everybody's feelings on that movie have changed since it came out in theater so uh it's funny that you're bringing it up my parents are flying in right now as we speak literally as we speak yeah they're flying in right now it's their first time to visit quebec and that they're gonna be here for the holidays and my mom loves the rocky films but she hasn't seen creed 2 so we're going to watch that. That's one of our activities that we're going to do is watch Creed 2. So it'll be interesting to watch Creed 2 for the sec- only second time since it's a uh, theater release. So my feelings have gone back and forth, but memory is a tricky thing. So it'll be interesting to see how I feel about it after watching it again. Yeah, yeah. Here in the States, it's up on Amazon Prime. So if you have Prime Video, no stars subscription required, Doug. Um, yeah, I don't know. I might be paying for stars. I have no idea. <laughs> You probably, you know, Stars is a cable channel you have to pay for. <clears throat> yeah. Creed 2 is completely free to view, assuming you have the, the Prime Video service. I do have Prime Video, but again, with being in Canada, we have different licensings yeah. for different movies. We don't have that on Prime, but it's actually available on one of my channels that I have on demand. I did check already. It's available. Today's movie, we did not put this movie up for vote. We decided to gift ourselves with our own choice. Cash the price 2000. <laughs> Guys, I'm in a good mood. <laughs> we didn't put this up to vote. Doug wanted a, I think you said a 90s, but this almost falls into it. It's the last Stallone film of the 80s. It's tied with Always as being the, the last movie released in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So we're actually, in a couple days, probably when you're listening to this, it's already passed. We're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the release of this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. The film, of course, stars Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. Those are the two main actors. If you look at the cover of the... I know our listeners can't see, but even if you just look at the cover of the movie on their VHS cover, Tango and Cash, it looks like a serious film. It's got a tone. It's a really cool cover. If I were to see this, it has like a Nighthawks meets Lethal Weapon type feel to it. The cover art alone does not look like the movie that I saw or parts mm-hmm. of the movie that I saw. And That's we'll, a really good point. It makes you wonder if they had different intentions at first. They did. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm asking because oh. apparently I don't know. Oh, I thought, well, Doug, you're really good about sometimes with the research. I guess today you're dropping Yeah, the ball. I, I slacked you. on this one. No, that's Terrible. fine. So as you know, there was a main director. The main director was some Russian dude named Andrei Konchalovsky. Anyways, he's directed such films as, well, Tango and Cash. He's also directed... Runaway Train. I think Runaway Train was the, the one most people probably know. Okay. I don't know that one, to be honest oh. with you. No. So I don't know any of his films other than Tango and Cash. But he's done, obviously, a lot of his work in Russia. He's done some stuff in the States. Apparently, there was a dispute between him and producer John Peters. Initially, the director, the Russian director, Andre, he wanted a serious film. Kind of like... Even more serious than Lethal Weapon. Like, Lethal Weapon has that comedy stuff to it. It, it can be lighthearted, but it's also very serious. You know, when uh, Mel Gibson's character is about to shoot himself and, you know, those suicidal mm-hmm. stuff. It's a serious film in many ways. It's dark, but it has comedy. I think they were shooting for that in this film to some degree. Andre wanted maybe more of a 48 hours type feeling movie, a little bit more dark. And John Peters wanted a comedy, a radar comedy romp. It's actually pretty amazing, Ryan, that this movie 
feels pretty consistent considering the amount of hands that touched it from a creative standpoint. Watching it without knowing that backstory, this movie doesn't really suffer from tonal shifts or anything like that. Um, it feels like a consistent vision. It also feels like the pilot episode of a TV show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. especially with like all the characters they set up, the Michael Pollard guy with the magnifying glass on his eye. Like, oh, yeah. It sets up all these side characters that would have been part of the weekly episode when they check in with their the side characters. It totally felt like the setup for a TV show to me. Well, I think the reason why it feels that way is because they wanted this to be a franchise. They had plans for making a second one all the way in like 2002 or something, wasn't it? Wasn't it like really oh. a lot more recent? Than that again, I, I really dropped the ball on my. Uh... In September of 2019, so just a couple months ago, Stallone revealed that he has a story written for a potential <laughs> se- sequel, and the filmmaker stated that he's trying to convince Kurt Russell to sign on to the project, though he anticipates the film will be made. I'm not sure this one warrants a sequel. Not at this point. Not, not at this point. No. The film was outrageously expensive for what I saw on screen, and I would have to assume the majority of that went to paying Kurt Russell and Sylvester Sloan. Because, as you know, the budget for films includes salary for the stars. Um, yeah. Stallone, he was probably taking $20 million, his, his standard 15 to $20 million or whatever he took at the time. Kurt Russell is no slouch of an actor either. The film was $55 million, which in today's money would have cost $100 million. Don't forget all the makeup for Robert Zarr's jaw as well. Oh, man. <laughs> Did he have to tone it down a little bit? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's a real face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no prosthetics. A, a unique looking guy. Those who know the movie well, a goon, a bad guy, played by the actor named Robert Zadar. His name in the movie is Face. <laughs> <laughs> Like, come on. For our listeners, he has jowls or jaw that I don't know how to describe it. It's a big square face. His face is huge. Yeah. And that was another thing. Watching this movie, it was a little sad. And I'm not sure if you guys picked up on him as they appeared on screen. But face is dead. He died a couple of years back. Yeah. Jeffrey Lewis, who played Tango's commanding oh, officer. Yeah. The guy um, with the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, wait. Not the guy with the mustache, Doug. The guy with... Was that toupee supposed to be that obvious, or was that just a bad toupee? Well, Jeffrey Lewis was bald. So. Yeah, I know, I know, he, I know he's bald in real life. And that's fine. That actor, I mean, Bruce Willis, uh, John Travolta, a lot of these actors get hair pieces for films. That's fine. People are bald. I don't they, think it was supposed to be obvious. It was horribly obvious, and maybe it's my Blu-ray version. I don't know. Oh. It just looked. It looked like he was just literally wearing a carpet on his head. Like, oh, that's bad. But Jeffrey Lewis, Juliet Lewis's father. Um, oh, he's really? passed away. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, I met him in person. Uh, really, really nice guy, but unfortunately, he's passed away. Eddie Bunker, who played Kurt Russell's commanding officer, yep. he was also in Reservoir Dogs. Most people probably know from that. He's passed away. Right. Uh, Michael Pollard, the guy with the magnifying glass, he yes. died about two weeks ago. We should say that the actor, um, uh, say his name again, the one that just passed away recently. Michael, Michael Pollard. Michael Pollard, yes. Uh, was famously known for Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Really? He yeah, was he was also on an episode of the original Star Trek. Nice. I know, from Scrooged. Oh, okay. Yeah, but then Brian James, the you know, ponytail, redhead with the ponytail, he's no longer with us. There was a sense of melancholy watching this film, seeing all these actors that are no longer with us. It was Jack just like, Palance was, has to be long dead, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you were playing No Longer With Us, bingo, man, you would have had a full board pretty quick. There's a lot of B-movie list actors in this film. 
that are notable, that are noticeable, who have been in hundreds of roles that you know. If you don't know them by name, you know them by face. And of course, Clint Howard, Ron Howard's brother. Mm-hmm. Right. Terry Hatcher. Boy, wow. she was fantastic looking. <laughs> Holy <laughs> smokes. But she is an incredibly lovely young lady. And still to this day, she actually just yesterday, it's funny, just yesterday, isn't it funny how the universe works? Like, I'm watching a movie about Tango Cash and it has a uh, co starring role, Terry Hatcher. And just yesterday, she released a non-filtered bikini photo of herself, and she has every reason to be proud of herself at the age of 51 or 52. Are you Googling it right now, Craig? Yes. It's okay. She should have every reason to be proud of herself in her 50s of how she looks, so good for her. She can't be 51, though. Yeah, I was going to say, because she was 25 at the filming of this film. Oh, yeah, she's she's, she's got those guns, too, huh? Which guns are we talking about there? (laughs) This is a family show, Craig. Is it? though? we don't necessarily curse, but we get pretty blue sometimes. Yeah, well, wait till we get to the couch scene. Okay, so here we go. So, Doug, uh, Doug, you're talking about that music. Listen to that music. (laughs) That's Howard Baltemeyer, who also did the Axel Foley music for Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, you could tell. That's totally the same style. Did you guys ever see the movie Cop Out with Bruce Willis? Mm-hmm. I can't remember yeah, anything Tracy from Morgan. It. Kevin Smith yeah, yeah. directed it. Yeah, Kevin Smith got Harold Faltemeyer to come out of retirement to do the score for it, and it's basically the Tango and Cash score. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's hilarious. You guys want to talk about this opening sequence? Oh, it's absurd. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, you want me to do the breakdown? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Two cops. Polar opposites, Ray Tango, a suave, sophisticated police officer, and Gabe Cash, an overzealous, long-haired cowboy, are a mismatched LAPD crime-fighting duo who work tirelessly to get drugs and bad guys off the street. Local drug lord, Yves Perret, wants them out of the picture, but figures killing them would launch an all-out war with the police, so he plans to frame them for murdering an undercover federal agent instead. Using his influence, Perret gets Ray and Gabe in a maximum security prison where an almost endless parade of inmates, previously incarcerated by the duo, are waiting for their captors impatiently. Realizing that they're not going to last much longer, they hatch a plan to escape. Once on the outside, they begin to piece together who set them up. They find out it's Perret that set them up and gear up for the final showdown. We get monster trucks, explosions, and Uzis in the exciting conclusion, which leaves Perret and all of his henchmen dead. Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> Why were Tango, and so Tango was played by Sylvester Stallone, Cash was played by Kurt Russell, and we'll talk about their individual performances as as we go through the film. But first and foremost, why were they in competition with each other, and how is that possible? Doug, you're a police officer, right? Uh, Yes, the legend has it. Okay. I can't speak to this because I'm not on any police force or law enforcement. I mean, I'm in the military, but Mm -hmm. do you have competitions with other cops to be the best cop in the area? No, not me, but there are guys in a town like Los Angeles. It's probably impossible because, you, you know, you're talking about thousands of officers and these guys are, are number one and two. Right. But in, in a small police department, we have guys that go back and forth on who has more DWI arrests and wrote more tickets and crap like that. But, I but mean, how much of that could be based on the media coverage, Ryan? They're both doing things that warrant front page news coverage yeah but what i'm curious about is how they were ever chosen to warrant the media's attention i guess i guess if you do it in a flashy manner 
you know, using your personal convertible with a whirling police siren on top to stop a 18-wheeler in the middle of a highway. Famous opening sequence. We've got Tango rushing down the highway to pull over a rig of uh, carrying some sort of goods that he knows is carrying. We'll find out later that he's carrying cocaine. He gets ahead of so far ahead of the rig that he's able to stop his car. He gets his gun ready. And he pours the bullets on the ground. Why does he do that, Doug? What's your understanding of dumping the bullets that are in his rifle onto the ground and then... It wasn't a rifle. Ryan. I mean, sorry. A, a, snub-nosed yeah. thirty-eight revolver. <laughs> I don't know. I, I asked myself that. Like, okay. Why would he dump out the rounds that were already in there? Okay. That's not a tactic you use as police officers to dump out <laughs> your rounds and put in new rounds? No. Was he okay. using a heavier-grade bullet? I was going to ask unless he was using a different specialized kind of round... They could have spared it. Two-second shot of him opening up a personalized box that says, I don't know what whatever grade of bullet it would have to be to indicate, at least to the to the uh, knowing Truck viewer, killer. that this kind of bullet's going to cause more damage. But there's nothing like that. All we see him do is dump out the bullets and put in more bullets. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Now, again, Doug, as a police officer, would you recommend standing in front of an 18-wheeler rig? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Ridiculous! The thing is barreling down on him, and he's just stone-faced, able to shoot, uh, what, how many rounds? Three rounds, four rounds into the windshield from 100 yards away with a snub-nosed thirty-eight revolver? Not the strongest weapon in the force? Not the strongest, and with the small little barrel, it's not very accurate either. <laughs> not at that range. Why shoot the gun at all? Uh, I don't know. There is use of force protocol and i don't know does this constitute the use of deadly force well yeah because he's shooting the weapon sure because the rig is driving right at him i understand the vehicles are a form of deadly force from a bad person like if you're a cop and someone's trying to run you over i believe you have the right to shoot them however okay he put himself in that spot yes to get run over that's what i was going to get at is he is well it's entrapment essentially yeah yeah. So the rig stops on its own without the bolts or it didn't do anything. The rig stopped anyways because they didn't want to run. Ironically, they didn't want to run them over. They stopped. Mm-hmm. They could have just plowed right through them and kept going. So ironically, the bad guys stopped the rig to not harm the officer. And then after getting shot at, they uh, I guess weren't wearing the seatbelts because they come to a slamming stop. And once the rig comes to a complete stop, then they fly out. The- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was so bizarre to me. Like, why does just slamming on the brakes cause them to, to fly through the windshield? Through it. No idea. <laughs> I, I think you guys are getting a little too deep into a movie that doesn't require kind of analysis. Well, I guess my problem is, and I'm not trying, like, people are wondering, oh, Ryan hates another Stallone film. That's not true. But the, I guess there's a part of me that wonders even in 1989, because smart films were made back then, even smart, funny films, mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon, I don't understand why they could have done something like still have a fun grand opening. Because what they're doing here is they're establishing tangos, unorthodox, call to action, how he takes care of perps, and he's a smart guy, he dresses snazzy. These are all good character traits that actually Stallone, believe it or not, in this film, I think Stallone did a great job as Tango. I think his role of playing kind of the geeky, preppy guy was actually a nice change for me to watch him do that. I didn't like that everything out of his mouth was a joke or a quip or a one-liner. Like, was, everything. Yeah. 
when the bad guys dropped out of the vehicle. Yeah, you also missed referencing when the uh, the highway patrol cop said he wanted uh, Tango's uh, badge, his gun, and his ass. <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys come flying out. Check this out. Glad you could drop in. <laughs> I love how he's got that quip ready. Did that just come out? Did he know they're going to fly out and I'm going to have this little quip ready? You like jewelry? Oh. He goes, you like jewelry? And uh, he shows him the handcuffs. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Doug. Even this this little sequence here, he, it's five different little... Uh, this is not a real conversation. It's just, no, it's rapid fire, man. <laughs> rapid fire quips. I tell you, you said you like Stallone in this. Not that I didn't like him. He plays a part like the part is probably intended to be played. But Kurt Russell steals the friggin' show. Yes, I know. It's almost unfair because Kurt Russell is such a charismatic and commanding presence when he's on screen. It's hard to say that Stallone was outacted here. It's just Kurt Russell's a force of nature. Kurt saves the show, but they Mm -hmm. did do well together. Chemistry wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I agree. There's that rug. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Look at that for our listeners. We're seeing right now uh, Tango's commanding officer, Jeffrey Lewis. Jeffrey Lewis, and that is a that is a carpet on his head, and it's, <laughs> a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> look, if you guys didn't realize that this was supposed to be a, a jokey movie to begin with, how about the line with uh, Highway Patrolman says, "Who do you think you are?" And the other guy says, "He thinks he's Rambo." Oh yeah, and then he says, "Rambo's a pussy." <laughs> Here's where the guy first says, I want your badge or something. I want your ass. Like, come on. What, like, who says that, Doug? Do you ever say it to you guys? <laughs> I want your ass. Check the whole truck, asshole. There's nothing in it. And you're out of your neighborhood, big city boy. I want your badge. I want your weapon. I want your ass. Who in the f*** do you think you are? He thinks he's Rambo. Rambo is a pussy. He says that, and then he draws his weapon. At a crime mm-hmm. scene. Yep. And <laughs> 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 it fires. If somebody drew their weapon at a crime scene to fire it at potential evidence to show there's drugs in this truck, what would that be? A charge against you guys? or what? Yeah. Plus, you're, you're firing it in the direction where people are standing. <laughs> 100% sure that you're not firing into... A gas tank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. I thought that too. The fuel I tank. I mean, you have to be definitively like 100%. No room for error there. Fires into what should have been the fuel tank or some sort of fuel carriage, but it wasn't. It was. It's full of... At the, the height that that is shot at, that's about, I don't know, $100 million worth of cocaine in that thing. Right? It, it has <laughs> to be. To fill up that much of a tank? So then right as this is happening, we have the three Amigo bad guys... <laughs> what the, the east side boss who, who's the who's the asian guy the west side boss who's the russian italian whatever nationality guy and then we have who controls both sides the big boss played by jack pounce and they're driving by the crime scene they happen to be there yeah and isn't the asian guy the bad guy from big trouble in little china yes he is yeah lopan Yep, which also starred Kurt Russell. Yeah, who is thankfully still with us. My friend Jeff Hewlett, who is co-host on the Slycast, actually met him at a convention last month, and he did the 
full low pan gimmick, oh, wow. 90 something years old. Looked wow. amazing. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, I like when guys lean into, you know, stuff that made them. Ray Tango. He's done it to us again. And if it isn't Tango, it's cash. Tango and cash, cash and Tango. These two cops are driving me crazy. We have to do something about this. I agree. I would like to handle this myself, Mr. Brent. No, we will handle it. Not that way. The two uh, smaller bosses are like, we'll take care of it. No, I'll take care of it. They want to get in good favor with Jack Palance's character. So they basically, they're saying, look, we're, we're tired of Tango and Cash ruining our crime syndicate. Let's just kill them. But Jack Palance is like, no, no, no. Because they're heroes, killing them would only uh, make them martyrs. And he doesn't want to, you know, make these two guys who are already up his ass into martyrs plus being that they're such legendary officers in the department that the police would launch an all-out war against the drug cartel yeah what kind of car is kurt driving there the corvette right it looks like the car that james dean died in right didn't he die in a corvette i hope so i don't know i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) it's a 1962 chevrolet corvette c1 oh wow 62. All right. In this part, pay close attention to... He's wearing a t-shirt with clearly nothing underneath (laughs) it. Thank you. (laughs) Exactly what I was going to go for. You see some skin at some point under his shirt. Yeah. He's got it tucked in. That was a good shot of it when he was running right there. Right. Yeah, there's nothing underneath there. So Cash, played by Kurt Russell, he's in his apartment and some henchman breaks in and shoots him twice in the chest. Cash gives chase and brings it to this underground parking garage. And then just carnage. <laughs> and Cash is also carrying... What kind of weapon is that? It's got a laser sight. Do laser sights help, Doug? I don't know. We have... I forgot what they're called, but they're, they're sights that glow in the dark. So it's easier to fire at night. I don't know about laser sights. I don't know how accurate they are. Cash has now commandeered a civilian vehicle to chase after the... I'm going to say Asian guy because it plays into the story later. The Asian guy that tried to kill him in his apartment. Are you allowed to commandeer a vehicle? Is that allowed by police? No. <laughs> Under no circumstances. Well, why... Oh, yeah, there's our gratuitous... <laughs> okay, so there's a car chase scene in, the, in a parking garage. This is shows you they're still kind of holding on to that 80s trope. We see a woman's breasts pop up out of the backseat of a car because she, she and her lover are making love in the garage in the car because their car got hit by the car chase sequence. There's just no need for that. No. I don't care that I see it, but there's like, why are we doing this still? You know, it's an R-rated movie. We might as well get our money's worth and show a pair. So I've actually noticed that a lot of movies nowadays, a lot of action movies, they actually don't show nudity anymore. That's an interesting thought. I don't, I don't know if we're qualified to go down that road, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know anything. What we just witnessed there was a Cash's big sequence. So we, we see the juxtaposition between the way Tango deals with taking down a perp and how Cash operates. And he, Cash wears a little bit more down-to-earth clothes. And he's got the wavy, flowing hair. He's got a laser sight rifle. He's high-tech weaponry compared to Tangle's weapon, which is this little simple little handgun. You're seeing how these two cops come from two different worlds. I think that's the idea of the initial sequence there. Yeah, the two polar opposites that are going to come together and have to work together, put aside their differences and work as a, a team. 
Now we have Terry Hatcher's character. We don't want to reveal who she is necessarily right now, but she's uh, in the office with Tango, telling Tango that she's off to go do her own thing. And we, at this point, as a viewer, don't know if they're boyfriend or girlfriend, what the relationship is. But he cares for her and tells her to be safe and call when she gets into the area, wherever she's going. Now, Stallone in this film, he's 43. Terry Hatcher is 25. So right away, there's an 18-year difference. I even contemplated. I couldn't remember because I hadn't seen this film for probably two and a half decades. I'd forgotten what she was to him. It wasn't until later in the film, I thought she might have been his daughter. I didn't get that. The age difference was too much for boyfriend and girlfriend. 18 years is kind of pushing it. How old was Kurt Russell here? 38. Oh, okay. And Kurt Russell looks great. So here he is in the elevator taking off his bulletproof vest. You got to give it to him. He's he's, uh, had an assassination attempt done on him. He's already off to work. Have you, Ryan, ever wore one of these? A vest? Yeah. Just for like when we do our action stations and stuff, depending where I am on the yeah. ship. But yeah, they're and heavy. They're heavy. They're bulky. Not easy maneuver in them. No. There's no way he was wearing that underneath his no. thin-ass $9 t-shirt. No. That's a really big film flub to indicate that he was wearing that vest when he wasn't. Nobody was paying attention to the continuity when they were shooting it. The shooting scene was probably done by second unit. What is $9 in $1989? That doesn't sound like a cheap shirt to me. He was indicating that it was expensive. He spent nine bucks on it. Well, I think that's the joke, that it's an $18 shirt today, approximately. So, yeah, yeah, he was wearing an $18 shirt, which is, you no, know, that's not horribly expensive, but it's not horribly cheap. It's middle of the road. It's something I would be okay spending money on for a shirt. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd spend that much. Yeah, it's <laughs> a little... Shirt days, I'm cheap. Men are notoriously cheap. I don't know about your wives, but... <laughs> How do you feel about Cash questioning a suspect that already wanted to lawyer up? Why was this guy left unattended in a restroom? Like, shouldn't he have been in a holding room or something or an interrogation room? No, he yes. was he was with the police officer and Cash told the police officer to leave. Oh. But still, he wouldn't be in like a police locker room with a table set up in the middle of it. That's a weirdly laid out bathroom. It has urinals next to the right right next to the change room and there's a table where people can drink coffee. I am not drinking coffee where people pee. And it wouldn't be used for witness interrogations either. Yeah, it was an odd sequence. They could have done that whole thing without the urinal. <laughs> that could have all played out the same without the urinal. So basically for our listeners, if you don't know the movie, basically what happened is Cash extorted information from the uh, Asian assailant who tried to kill him. And he pretended not to know English, but he physically assaulted him until the English came out of him. <laughs> yeah, the guy says, you know, when... The interpreter came. He, the only thing he said was he wanted a lawyer. Right then and there, mm-hmm. interview over. You right. can't ask him any more questions. What Cash does is he goes in and scares the guy in, into confessing, which means that everything from this point on in the movie would be thrown out in court. So these guys are arms dealers. That's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than the drug dealers. So the main bad guys are dealing in arms. I think they're dealing in both, right? Because of the truck full of coke. Right. I love this technology that they throw us that we're supposed to think they have back in 1989. Jack Palace is in his palace or whatever, his home base, and he's watching what looks like camera footage, police camera footage. That did not exist in 89. There was no body cam footage back then. No, it seems like episode of Cops. Exactly. So there's a camera crew following Tango into some sort of drug bust, and Jack Palace is watching it on his many-screened wall. And then I can't tell, but it looks like then he's watching now Cash do the same thing. It looks like, are Tango and Cash together? No. I think they're separate 
separate incidents because the first one he watches, he said this, I guess, cashed it was the first one. He said he cost me $60 million on this one. And then he watches Tango do one. And he said, Tango cost me even more. They're really sitting up here that Tango and Cash have cost this crime lord millions and millions of dollars in drug busts. Hundreds of millions. I love Jack Pounce's delivery. Gabriel Cash. Oh, God. How many millions? How many? How many this time? Jack Pounce chews the scenery, man. Every, every shot he's in. Oh, yeah. Chewing it. What was the fascination back in the 80s with many screens at once on the wall? <laughs> that showed how rich you were. I think so. That must be it. Yeah. Craig has all those screens on his wall. <laughs> but I love how they always have a film crew for all these big drug busts. Is that common, Doug, to have a film crew follow you around? Maybe after the fact to document the evidence, but not during the raid, I, I wouldn't assume. He uses these two mice as an analogy. Him and these mice. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. It's useless nonsense. Like Vincent D'Onofrio being a, a germaphobe in an escape mm. plan. Mm-hmm. They're heroes already. Why make martyrs out of them? Instead of death, <laughs> we have a game. A game that only we can win. Within two weeks, I will be taking delivery of the largest shipment of munitions and weapons that we have ever handled within that time Tango and Cash will be safely tucked away (laughs) behind bars Aren't they beautiful? There we go. So basically, this whole big elaborate plan is to set up Tango and Cash to take a fall for some sort of crime, and they're going to go to jail for that crime. Sure. Sounds feasible. Yeah. It sounds a lot less complicated just to kill them. They're not going to be martyrs, because basically they're saying that Tango and Cash are such super cops that they're causing their damage to this crime syndicate. But Who's to say it's going to be pinned on Jack Pounce's syndication? If you're powerful and have enough money, you can pay off anyone to kill these two guys who aren't connected to you. You can use a person to person to person to to put a hit on them. It doesn't have to be his goons that do the hit. He's afraid they're going to become martyrs. You know, sure, the public will be like, oh, it's too bad. Two cops got killed. They did a lot for the city. It's, It's horrific. But he's saying it's better that they die in jail as criminals. I don't understand what the martyr problem is. It doesn't necessarily mean that another cop will take the place of their ability. So yeah, the public will mourn and they're going to they're going to mourn the loss of these heroes of the city, but their crime activity will not stop despite the public's mourning of the police officers. I think it's more that he wants them to pay for robbing him of all this illegal money that he do. I mean, we're talking over $100 million. I mean, he's probably got a little bit of a vendetta against them and says, hey, instead of death, let me strip them of all this power they have and have them locked up into disgrace. Finally, kind of Shakespearean, if you think about it. <laughs> sure. He wants. <laughs> yes, I understand that he wants to torch them or humiliate them and or to make them suffer. I, that's bad guy 101. I, I get that. 
But they weren't in jail very long before he authorized their killing. So the only difference is that they're going to die in jail, not as martyrs, but as fallen cops. I get it. But I guess that was the thing. Like, they're going to be dead anyways, but he wanted them dead fallen heroes instead of just dead heroes. Yeah, like he wanted to destroy their legacy. If they die disgraced officers, then their legacy is destroyed. They, uh, I love how the newspapers also agreed on Tango and Cash. <laughs> it flows better. I guess yeah. so. So Tango and Cash are both on this fake crime scene. They don't think it's fake yet. Uh, the setup that's been set up for them. They both have received information about this getup. And I think this is where we can see a little bit of Kurt Russell's screen charisma and acting ability and personality kind of overshadows Stallone's a little bit and uh, it plays out in this scene so this is their initial meeting or their first time meeting on screen at the very least what are you doing here you almost got yourself killed pal really i'd say it's the other way around oh, i don't know what you're talking about i pulled this trigger and your throat's hanging out that wall behind you really you pulled that trigger i'm gonna blow you in half you got the visual you are fucking deluded pal you never had a chance to hit me with that gun no that was this one this one <clears throat> you know man yeah, I hear you're the second best cop in L.A. That's funny. I hear the same thing about you. Why don't you stay off my case? What makes it your case? I've been on it for three months. It makes it my case. Like you said, shows how stupid you are, because I've been on it for about mm. half an hour now, and here I am all caught up with you. That was the best line in the movie. That. I love it. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. I had that one written down. <laughs> and I love how he looks at his watch. He's like, <laughs> I've been on this case for half an hour, and I'm all caught up to you. <laughs> But he's right. (laughs) It's not only funny, but it's true. You got him. So I love that initial meeting there. Agreed. Okay, so we can skip to the part where, yeah, they get caught. Now, Doug, again, you're a police officer. How many cops do you need having guns and weapons drawn on two guys? This is inside a room here. It's, It's close quarters, and they are surrounded by weaponry. Their hands are in the air, but the weapons are still drawn. The thing that I notice in something like this is all the cops in the back that are pointing their guns <laughs> at Tango and Cash. There's zero muzzle discipline, as we call it. I totally know what you mean. We always have a, a saying in the military, you know, point your weapons down range. And mm-hmm. you, no one walks in front of that range. Right. So the setup here is there's a dead guy in the chair with guns around them. We'll find out later there's a recording made that uh, has them on tape saying incriminating things regarding this murder. Kurt Russell, or Cash's gun, is at the crime scene. And the body is a federal agent. Undercover, was he not? Or Yeah, that's right. I guess Perrette's elaborate setup is to have these two framed for that agent's murder. Right. Usually when you're dealing with other police officers, you don't treat them or talk to them like they're just you're running the mill bad guys. But here, they're just... Well, I mean, they're joking around. Apparently, they're not afraid at all. But all the, you know, the cops that are there to arrest them are talking to him like they're just regular street thugs the body was wired the dead body was wired so their conversation that they had at that time was going to be used and spliced together to incriminate them for the crime that's what it seems yeah by michael jeter another actor who's Mm -hmm. sadly no longer with us yeah who played skinner was his name in the film whatever reason he was given the name skinner he's a great actor he's a frenchman in real life i believe and he had a great yeah and he had a great great role in the green mile speaking of mouse he he was the mouse guy he was french yes yeah so in his everyday life he had a french accent i think so no or maybe i'm wrong i can't believe that michael jeter he was a french guy in uh uh, the Green Mile. Yeah. So you might be thinking that he played a French guy. He did, yeah. A Cajun, like down south Frenchman. 
I'm yeah. sorry. He was born in Tennessee. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was such a good actor. You thought he was French. Yeah, he did a great job. Great actor. Another good character actor. Yeah, yeah. Died at the age of yeah. 50. Yeah, I believe he had AIDS-related illness. Oh, okay. Mm. And we also saw the guy that tries to convince Arnold to take the pill in Total Recall. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what that guy's... What was his part in this? He's some kind of expert witness. Are you talking about the guy who was kind of overweight, the weird teeth? Yeah. yeah. I think they called him Jabba the Hutt. They made fun of his weight. There's a couple of uh, data jokes in this. The uh, the fat shaming and also uh, the sexuality shaming. Their banter back and forth during the trial. One guy testifies and they have a witty remark about him. The next guy testifies. They have a witty remark about him. Right? Oh, yeah. Do you think uh, Jeff Lewis asked for the, uh, the Sonny Bono? <laughs> <laughs> The Sonny Bono wig. I kind of feel like that's what he asked for, looking at it. I told you. Did you catch the toupee, or did you just totally not see the toupee? I know he was bald in real life, so I knew he was wearing a piece. John Travolta's been bald for 40 years, but his toupee's been pretty solid. Yeah, well, this was not a solid. No, <laughs> so is Bruce Willis's. is fairly solid. Yeah, who else got a solid toupee? Well, uh, William Shatner had one for years. Hmm. Best one ever might be uh, Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, good call. Speaking of Skinner, our French guy from Tennessee, <laughs> he, he's playing the audio guy. And we'll find out later in the film that, yes, he did doctor the audio. And he's got what's called an oscillator. This oscillator, some high-tech stuff. This is 1989. He had all this equipment to uh, splice together their voices into one conversation. And that's something I do commonly on my computer all the time now yeah. when I edit podcasts. It's just hilarious that... What I could do on a free software on my little laptop, this guy had a room full of equipment to piece together a audio clip of fake news. Yeah, and, and the oscillator would be a means to measure the frequency of the voices. You would see it like a mountain on a screen, and then you would match it up. There yeah. is a little bit of science behind that. Sure. Yeah, well, they, they have to make it sound like it flows seamlessly. Yeah. Well, you know what's scary, Ryan? You, myself, and Doug have all recorded hundreds of hours of audios. If somebody was really sinister, they could take our voices and implicate us in all kinds of crimes. <laughs> You're right. Officers, go on trial today for the slaying of a federal undercover agent during a drug sting operation. Officers Tango and Cash insist that they are the victims of an elaborate setup, possibly a retaliation by criminal figures aimed at taking the two top cops out of action. Expert witnesses are scheduled to lead off the prosecution's case. Mr. Skinner, you've listened to the tapes, and if you had to make a judgment regarding its authenticity... <laughs> I'd say that there's no reason for me to believe that it isn't genuine. And what type of procedure did you use to test this tape? Took samples of the suspect's voices and compared them with the voices on the tape using an oscilloscope. The match was identical. When this is over, remind me to no rip Jumbo the there's tongue out. The witness may step down. With the tow truck. When I entered the premises, I saw the two suspects guns, the money, the drugs, the dead body. That's what I saw. When these two guys show up, I figure the whole thing has gone sour. So I'm going to go in and clear everything up. When they kill him. When this is over, we have to pay Jabba the Hutt here a visit. I'll bring the chainsaw. Nothing at this time, Your Honor. I'll bring the beer. <laughs> Detective Cash assaulted me. He put a chair in my chest and sat on it. I couldn't find a piano. Cash dongle. Oh, this son of a bitch can speak English. I'm telling you, the square crow can talk. Square crow. What would you call it? As the defense attorneys for Tango and Cash. So he called the Asian guy a square crow? Was it because of his haircut? Oh. Yeah, like a flat top. Okay. He was insulting the hair. That's fair. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so that gives our listeners an idea of the uh, shenanigans that they had to sit through at the court trial. So this whole court's a farce. And I don't want to extend this discussion longer than it needs to be, but... That's all we do here. <laughs> seemingly, couldn't the defense have presented their own audio expert? Everyone was on the, the payroll. Mm-hmm. You have to play Cash's, his statements to the court at the end. First, Tango says his like elaborate thing. Cash is just... <laughs> This is wonderful. I will. They cop a plea for 18 months of minimum security just to make it all go away. Well, yeah, because they're supposed to be dead within two weeks in the prison anyways. But they don't know that, of course. So they're out of a job now, Doug. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. The bad guys, they're like, oh, what happens in 18 months when they get out? It's not like that. They're convicted felons. They're convicted murderers. They don't just get their jobs back when they get out of jail. Right. Is now a good time to point out that it feels like we've done a lot of Stallone in prison movies? That's why I thought maybe we shouldn't do this one, but, you know, you guys jumped on. Yeah, it's crazy. And we still have one more Stallone prison movie to do. A victory. <laughs> and then Escape Plan 2 and 3. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know we don't like to play to the ages that the actors are. I'm a stickler for it because, to me, life is to be lived. and you're, You are a certain age. But, again, we have a whole piece of dialogue here where... They're trying to get sonority on each other, and they're using age as a sonority. Kurt Russell looks, I don't know, they look kind of the same age, I know, because Sloan does look a little bit younger. He's, he's 43. He's a young-looking 43. But they don't go by age. They go by the month. Kurt Russell even says, you know, I won't embarrass you by asking for the year. Oh, did he say that? I missed that. My bad. Yeah. Okay, okay. Then I retract everything I just said. Sound about right, Ray? Very generous guy. I'll make the statement. I'll make the statement. No way mean why not you'll screw it up when's your birthday what difference is it when were you born why day and month it's not that tough right do my horoscope you don't give me the year you have to embarrass yourself when were you born february (laughs) i got seniority i'll make the statement august 16th i read your records cash isn't that the date you were hatched august 16th ring a bell i got seniority (laughs) all rise that laugh that Stallone does back at Kurt Russell, it's not it's more cringe than funny. Yeah. Oh, that's not the only time I cringed in this movie. I think it was supposed to be though. Okay. Maybe. To their credit, they wrote in, at least insinuated or acknowledged a little bit that Stallone actually is older than Kurt. That's good. I'll give them credit for that. So I take back my previous statement. Okay, so let's hear this uh Tango's final statement and then uh Cash's final statement. The court is now in session. The Honorable Judge McCormick presiding. Be seated. Your Honor, the defendants wish to change their plea. Order. Very well, Counselor. What is the plea? Your Honor, may I approach the bench, please? Proceed, Mr. Tango. So he has to approach the bench, but he just stands at the table. He doesn't actually go to the bench. I think that's just a formality. A policeman for 12 years. And I think it's the best organization in the country. At times I've been accused of being too aggressive and taking criminals off the street. Well, if that's a sin, then I guess I'm guilty. All the cops I've worked with are good cops. You are. Doing a tough job. And I only hope that the outcome of this trial is such that the whole department is not judged by what has transpired here. Thank you. Do you have anything to add, Mr. Cash? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. No. Mr. Tango has uh, 
spoken very eloquently, and I wish I could be as forgiving, but I can't because <coughs> this whole thing fucking sucks. I mean, this is the biggest pile of shit. The cops are all cheering in the background, so they obviously <laughs> yeah. they, they have the support of these officers in blue behind the defendants. You could argue there's some discord or some disagreement even amongst the police force that these guys are truly not guilty. They've been set up, so not everyone's on the take, I guess. Yeah, I think the guys that were in their corner, the, their friends, their teammates, that's why they're there, to show solidarity and support. Kurt Russell, what a handsome man, eh? I, I like him with long hair. It's not mullet-like, really, you know? Oh, he still wears that hair like that, though. Not quite as long in the back. He is proud that he is not a toupee wearer. You know, yeah. he, he knows. <laughs> He's been blessed with strong locks on top. Have you seen him in that Christmas movie on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does a pretty damn good Santa Claus. The Santa Claus Chronicles? They're doing a part two. For 2020, part two will be coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think we lost Craig again. Uh, it looks like he just moseyed away. <laughs> so they've been found guilty, of course, or guilty. They're off to jail. They go. Jack Palance is now celebrating their demise. You don't have to be afraid anymore. What's the matter, gentlemen? You don't share my enthusiasm. Oh, Mr. Brett, I am sorry, but I cannot appreciate these games you keep playing. Forgive me for asking, Mr. Perret, but uh, what happens in 18 months when they get out? Use your imagination. What makes you think they'll ever get out again? Now, go and take care of your business. I got a feeling this is going to be a great year. So he says, what makes you think they're ever going to get out again? It's kind of bad writing. I mean, have they been to jail before and gotten out? <laughs> uh, what makes you think they'll ever get out again? Yeah, I don't know. I caught that right away. It should just be, what makes you think they'll ever get out? Yeah. Period. There's a lot of bad writing in this. <laughs> again means to do something that which has been done before. They've mm -hmm. never been to jail before. Or at least we haven't been told that they've been to jail before and thus broken out before. He should have said, what makes you think they're ever going to get out? That's it. Mm -hmm. Simple things like that. It should just make sense. I don't know who who's the script doctors. Who is the script writer? Because this is utter garbage. <laughs> Look, I like this movie. I enjoy this movie for the goofiness that it's supposed to be. It's a goofy movie. Oh. It's Cobra, for example, we haven't reviewed Cobra yet. Like Cobra's not goofy. Mm -hmm. It's dark. It's violent. Serious. There's still silly things in it per se. But this movie is, is just kind of goofy. Cliffhanger. It's not goofy. Mm -hmm. This yeah. movie, it doesn't know what tone it wants to be. There's some parts in it that are quite tense and brutal. But even in the tense and brutal parts, they're still quipping and yeah. dropping their one line. And that, to me, makes me feel like there's no stakes in this. At no point do I really feel like these guys are in danger because of the joking. Yeah, good point. The rewrites are credited to a gentleman who's no longer with us. On the of course, everyone in this film's dead. <laughs> well, he deserves it. <laughs> Jeffrey Boehm. He was attached to a lot of pretty legitimate movies. Uh, the Dead Zone, Inner Space, The Lost Boys. He worked on the Lethal Weapon sequels. As a script doctor? Yeah, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Look at the shot here of Tango Seal with that toupee. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> He needs an extra piece of tape and starting starting right up on him. I'm telling you, that's classic Bono, man. <laughs> that hairpiece is just riding up. It's about to fly away. 
give me the bono. Eddie Bunker, I don't know if you guys know Eddie Bunker's uh, story. He was a, a convicted bank robber, as we're looking at <laughs> Kurt Russell's ass. In real life, he was a convicted bank robber? Yeah, he actually did hard time and you know had a second career as, a, as an actor. Now, Ryan, I hope we talk about the Twitter <laughs> can of worms that you opened. Holy cow, that thing is still rocking and rolling. <laughs> okay, so what we're laughing at and talk, looking at right now, as my wife is cleaning behind me. Yes, I'm looking at two naked men here, honey. So <laughs> we, we see the, the uh, buttocks of Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. That is their... their <laughs> That's their asses. And I've seen too much of Stallone's ass doing this podcast with you fellas. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to clap on the microphone. I'm so. How much Stallone buttocks have we seen? More than what one should see in their lifetime. The specialist had a lot of Stallone ass in it. We haven't even done Party at King of Studs yet. <laughs> but look how they're just clenching, eh? They're just yeah. clenching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is awful. And, and not to get too deep into the weeds here, guys, but if you notice, Stallone's got no tan lines. <laughs> I can't take it. Oh, you beat me too. I love it. And uh, Kurt Russell's tan line, you could tell that he was wearing a Lisa Speedo. Yeah, yeah. He was wearing something very tiny. But Sly's like, no, man. I got a tan everywhere. It's like a couple of Christmas hams. <laughs> Do we want to go over a couple of the uh, the movie movies we got from uh, yes. Twitter? Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you reminded me to do that. So what Craig's referring to on our Twitter account, on the uh, Going the Distance account, I showed this still, this very still, and I said, name this movie with wrong answers only. And we got some good ones. Fist um, is probably my favorite. <laughs> Fist wants to go. <laughs> so, there will be blood. <laughs> <laughs> my wife can't take it. She's behind me. Is she uh, laughing? Yeah, she's laughing. She's mopping, too. What a good woman. She's cleaning while I'm podcasting. <laughs> of course, so Craig, good one right away. Party at Kitty and Studs. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think. All the good ones were taken. Paradise, Paradise Alley. Alley. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing that one. First Blood. Oh. <laughs> I See You. <laughs> Manscapers. <laughs> <laughs> Twins, <laughs> Brokeback Mountain. Mm. Someone said Batman and Robin, but I wish I would have put Batman and Throbin. That's what I would have said. <laughs> oh, man. Some people answered with the correct answer, which is not the joke, but anyways. <laughs> uh, the Untouchables. Up at the Crack of Dawn. <laughs> I don't that? know. The Noodles. <laughs> it was still going as an hour ago. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> Soap on a rope, bum and bummer. Mm. All right. So good. Uh, thanks to everyone that uh, responded to that, gave us your quips. Kurt Russell does kind of have a funny looking backside, though. <laughs> you're really, you're really looking at it, aren't you? One of my gay listeners, his name is Miguel. He's a faithful listener of the show, and he's openly proud gay man. He particularly likes this scene. He makes no bones about it. Yeah, I believe he said he wore out the VHS. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. Okay, so now we have this shower scene. This sequence is hilarious. I'm not approved by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, I've showered throughout my military career amongst other men or whatever. First off, Tango is actually sitting on a bench in the shower, just sitting there. Just picture their movements as you watch this and just understand their junk is just swinging around. Swinging and, in the breeze. <laughs> and also, why is every shower running? 
<laughs> oh, yeah. There's like two of them. They got like six shower heads going. So they're having a discussion. Of, you know, it's very casual. There's just the two of them in the shower. So they have unlimited time, it almost seems like, to have a shower, to get cleaned up before they get their prison gear. Doug, is that what they do? Do they shower before they get issued their prison gear? No, I don't think so. I think they have a, like a set shower time. It's not like a free-for-all. When you get in, you, get, uh, you go through intake, you get all your stuff, and you get put into a unit, as far as I know. They're almost being too casual about being nude with each other. Like, I get it. Yeah. Like, wait till they get to insulting their penis size quick. Yeah, there's even a small dick joke. <laughs> They're talking about who might have set them up, whatever. Kurt Russell, or Cash, bends down to grab, literally, the soap on the ground. This is how that plays out. All the time, it's Lopez, and now I know it, right? Well, what do you think? I think with your IQ, you're unarmed and still very dangerous. Okay, Sherlock Holmes, if you're so damn smart, you tell me who set us up. I don't know yet. Yeah, you don't know <laughs> What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Relax. Soap. And don't flatter yourself, peewee. After he oh, glances no, down at him. Don't worry, Cash. Someday the other one will drop. <laughs> Attaboy, tripod. Just keep talking. Thing, Mouse. I don't know if it's Sly's delivery or the lines that he was given. Like, Kurt, his deliveries are just spot on. He's good at it. Sly comes back with Minnie Mouse. Like, you can't come back with the same insult. He's already accused you of having a, a small junk. Okay, that's the right. insult. You can't come back and say, yeah, you're small too. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really hold any weight. Cash kind of contradicts himself. He calls him a tripod. Yeah, that would mean he's big, right? Yes. Again, a bad line. And I don't know why the actors don't say that. Like, I'm not an actor, and I will never be an actor. But if I was given a script where, okay, you're going to make fun of your buddy's junk. Okay, that's in the script. Let's go. And then I'm given the line, tripod. I'm like, dude, like, just so you know, that means, you know, he's got three legs. Yeah. Could it also be, and I doubt it is, but it could also be a short joke. Maybe short joke. I'll go with that. You're so low to the ground that Sly's character Tango says the other one will drop. <laughs> what does that yeah, mean? I, I, I don't testicle. I don't know. I, I think it's a testicle to, uh, insulting his age, maybe. But he's five years older than he is. I don't know. Oh God, we're we're looking way too much into this. The, is the writing that I I'm glad the writer's dead over. The conversation is, if you think they're going to put us in general population, you're crazy. They don't put cops in general population. And cue, yes, cue the next <laughs> sequence of them. No, Doug, you're a cop, no, right? No, there's no way. Showering, burning garbage in the middle of a, a prison unit, and the guards are just walking through like it's normal. And would any guard allow this behavior to happen without... So and how much stuff do they have oh, in their cells? I this? know, look at all that. This is crap. <laughs> look at the fire behind them. Look at that fire. There's one thing to light a, some toilet paper on fire, but do you see the fire that was behind them? There's two different pillars of a six-foot-tall fire. The guards are like, no, that's a cool. We'll just let it burn. Yeah, no. There's the face. <laughs> There's face yelling, cops, cops, come. I'll take care of you. I'm going to tear you on your ass. You know Captain Dynaball here? Yes. Yes. I love June Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> if you need me. Me and my ass will be in the neighborhood. You pig! It's over for you! I think you're going to be very popular here. Funny, I don't see your fan club either. Now, are people urinating on them, too? <laughs> it looked like it. <laughs> Cash is in a jail cell. He's about to use the toilet. This is a bit of a gag here. 
Are the toilets that bad in jails? I don't think so. No, not these days. So he's about to urinate, and then his cellmate stops him. That crapper is mine. I see, and what am I supposed to use? I don't give a shit. <laughs> don't use that. Okay, bud. We're going to get one thing straight right now. And, of course, the reveal is he's got a seven-foot-tall, 500-pound black guy mm-hmm. as he's about to insult him. And this is, uh, now that he sees us, this is his response. That is yours. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, I, I like that. What do you want to talk about regarding the jail scene? It's surprising that, you know, this takes up a majority of the movie. It's like a 30 or 40 minute sequence in a hour and 40 minute movie. I haven't seen this film in quite some time. And I knew that they were in in jail for some reason or some point. This is basically another prison escape movie. They are in prison and it's your classic. They have cellmates. They get in trouble. They get beaten up. They have somebody from the outside help them get out. Then they get out and they go exact revenge on their name, find evidence that they're not guilty after all, and that's the movie. <laughs> and usually, though, in a prison movie, the escape would be the climax, right? Right. There's still like a whole other 40 minutes after they get out. Tango's cellmate is played by Clint Howard. Mm-hmm. He's a funny looking guy, eh? He is. <laughs> another original Star Trek connection. As a child, he was on an episode of the original Star Trek. So we got two Star Trek alum in this movie. And there's a sequence here where Cash can't get to sleep because his 500-pound bunkmate is above him, squishing him. The classic and fart joke. <laughs> here we go. He's trying to move him, trying to get him to stop snoring. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Did you guys get the screen? I know I sent it in the middle of the night, but the screenshot I. I sent you guys? <laughs> yes, I did. I loved it. Because <laughs> the closed caption just said farting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just like in Lockup, <laughs> Stallone's character is taken in the dark by a bunch of people to be taken somewhere to get the crap beat out of him. Mm-hmm. And they put up a little bit of a fight, both Tango and Cash. As most humans would be, you're overwhelmed. You're outnumbered with like 50 to 1. Yeah, and, and when they get them down into like the laundry room or wherever they have this epic fight, you're surrounded by a whole bunch of prisoners, like 50 people. Yeah, they keep quipping and then attack one at a time. <laughs> so, yeah, they're taken down to whatever. They're, well, they're shoved into the laundry chute, which I thought was interesting. So they got bags put over their heads, which I don't understand that. These laundry bags are put over their heads so they can be thrown down the laundry chute just so they can get out of those laundry bags and then be surrounded again by other prison mm-hmm. people to be basically to get the crap kicked out of them. Don't make a move. We'll talk our way out of this. I don't think I'm in the small talk. I'm telling you, if we panic, we're history. Ah, the infamous Cash and Tango. It's Tango and Cash. Honored, imprisoned. What a shameful fall from glory. Jack Palance enters the scene, so he's authorized, or not authorized, he's put together this little welcoming committee of prisoners and what have you to beat up Tango Cash. And he says right there, yeah, you've fallen from glory. So this was really important to him as the, the crime boss to see these two guys fall from grace. Yes. And who are you? Just think of me as somebody who doesn't like you very much. You think there would be something more poignant to say <laughs> with that pause? 
I thought the same thing. Just think of me of somebody. Uh, I don't like you very much. <laughs> Craig? Yeah. <laughs> I noticed a couple of weird deliveries in this movie. And if I actually researched like you guys, I would have written it down. But unfortunately, I can't even be bothered to get a pen and pencil when I watch it. <laughs> it's terrible. All right, keep watching, keep talking, guys. I'm going to keep it playing. I just have to go to the washroom. I'll be right back. I do want him to play when Tango makes fun of, he calls this guy a limey jerk-off. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great moment, too. I want, uh, I want him to play the audio for. Yeah, Brian James is a great villain. He, he was uh, one of the heavies in Blade Runner. He was one of the, the androids in, in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. He was in a slew of 80s movies as as a bad guy. He is one of those guys that I've seen a ton, but... For the life of me, I couldn't pinpoint really one of them when I was, without looking at his IMDb, I couldn't really think of what uh, what else he was in. But he's definitely, he's got a very recognizable face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's not really British, right? Um, no, I believe, he, I believe he was American. Uh, and he put on this terrible accent. At least he didn't try and do a French one. I think it was Stallone. I read that he like put on this terrible Cockney accent and Stallone loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I forget. Rakeen, I think his name is. He yeah. didn't really have a big part in this. But no. when, when Stallone heard his Cockney accent, he wanted the part to be bigger for him. Yeah, he was also in 48 Hours, another 48 Hours. Oh, yeah. Red Heat, The Fifth Element. And he died 10 years after this movie came out at 54 of a heart attack. Wow. Six foot three. Lanky fella. Hey, Ryan. Yes. You got to go back to where uh, Cash flips out about Rakeen being a limey jerk off. <laughs> you got to play that audio. Is it after face? It's before. Yeah, no, maybe it is. No, no, because they punch him and that's when it starts. Oh, okay. It's before him. There it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay, I got you. That's a great line. Don't panic. I'll cut your bloody throat. Yank your thing out the O and tie the lovely Windsor knot for you, eh? I don't want to tie. That's him. Right, boy. You want to cut my throat? Go ahead, huh? You want to cut my head off and use it for a basketball? You can bowl the monkey for all I care. Just don't let him do it. I don't want to get killed by this limey immigrant jerk-off. I want to get killed by an American jerk-off. You fucking wanker. Put it away for now. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> an American jerk-off. Kurt's so good, man. I love it when he goes Kurt Russell angry. Yeah, yeah, he does. You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. Hell's coming with me. He did that movie four years after this one, if you can believe it, Tombstone. Wow, he looks yeah. a lot older. Well, it's the mustache. Yeah, He had to cut the dreamy locks, too, for it, huh? Do you guys know that all the mustaches in Tombstone were real mustaches? Yeah, well, Kurt, we wow. don't grow one. I just love Kurt Russell so much. I really do. I might have to do a Kurt Russell podcast. Oh, man. Kurt Russell has to be one of a handful of people that has acted with both or shared the screen with both Sly and Frank. That's right. Good call. He didn't share the screen with Frank, though, did he? Well, I mean, they... they shared the same movie because it was uh, Val Kilmer's character that killed Frank at the... Uh... Spoiler. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 26-year-old movie. <laughs> so they're tied up here, and they get electrocuted. Quite the setup here. So they're definitely torturing both Tango and Cash. They're above, they're above water. They've got these cables. I wouldn't want to be the guy holding the cables, electrocuting them in the water. I'd be nervous. And this was, as somebody was mentioned in the 80s, 
kind of tropes from the eighties. This was definitely a big trope in the eighties. If you remember the scene in Lethal Weapon where Mel Gibson's chained up and the Asian henchman that was in every action movie in the eighties got like the sponges and he's electrocuted mm-hmm. them. That was yeah. a big deal in the eighties. And then Rambo, of course, got electrocuted in part two. It's a particularly brutal uh, way to torture somebody, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have any of you felt electric shock before? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah. nothing just by changing like an outlet or something, but nothing major. Yeah, I worked in radio for a couple of years. There were a lot of instances where we needed to do stuff hot. I got bit a couple of times. <laughs> you got bit. I will admit, when I was watching this, I was like, how do they get out of this? This is pretty legit. They're getting tortured. They're getting beaten up. They're outnumbered. Obviously, you know, halfway through the movie, they're going to get out of it, but I didn't know how. The guards came in. They were alerted to this. Jack Palace's character snuck away. The limey bastards snuck away. And then we find out, and we're going to hear the conversation right now, who helped them from the outside. You look like hell, Cash. Matt, Matt it is you, isn't it? Say it is. It is. <laughs> oh, God, am I glad it's for you. Who's this guy? Matt Sikowski. I'm assistant warden. He was my CO when I started on the force. You guys are in deep shock. Really? Yeah. Who the hell set you up? I don't know, but I think we just met him. You know, if this creep wants us dead so bad, why doesn't he just put a bullet in our head and call it a day? I mean, what what the hell's he got to play this game for? Maybe it's a boring night in life. How do you get in here, man? Ah, Anything can happen behind these walls. All you need is the cash. We got some of the best God's money can buy. You got the bucks, you get what you need. The whole place is corrupt. They're going to put you back in general population. Somebody's going to nail you both. The way I see it, you got only one choice, escape. Escape? Yeah. I'll tell you what, tomorrow morning I'll get a spoon and we'll start tunneling out of here and you can help me chew through the bars, okay, Cash? Come on, this is bullet. What's with your friend? Well, he's a little upset. He misses his wardrobe. What are you saying, Max? You gotta listen to me, I've got a plan, I got it all worked out. How do we trust him? We've known each other for 15 years. Mm, we trusted our lawyers too? Yeah, and we trusted the judge and that got us nowhere, so I guess this time you're gonna have to trust me. Now that is a risky proposition. Come on, Gabe, I got a present for you. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I saw you laughing there, Doug, with uh, Sly's delivery of that. Now that is a risky proposition. Yeah, it gets worse throughout the movie. So they're looking over at the blueprints here. I got to tell you guys, if you showed me a blueprint of a prison that I'm in, I'm like, I don't know where we are. I, <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know we looked at the blueprint like two days ago, but you go throw me into a building with a blueprint that I just happened to look at. <laughs> I'm lost. I have to be at a place to really get the layout of it. But they do this in movies all the time, eh? They show you the blueprint, and the characters just seem to have this memorized. Right. There's a gratuitous uh, shirtless shot of Sly. we got to see that. <laughs> I didn't really get the point of Stallone not wanting to go ahead with the prison breakout. All it did was set up that he would be there on the other side of the fan when he needed to be. Good point. It's a plot trope. Yeah. And I'm really disappointed we talk about the big, those big ventilation fans that nobody got chewed up in one. Who was waiting for that? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Like one of the bad guys? That would yeah. have been a great way for Face to get it. Yeah, Face. Well, his face probably would have stopped the blades. Most definitely. <laughs> would have been great if he used Face's face instead of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now you're talking. They get out. I mean, they, they escape the jail. There's a scene on top of the roof. This is a classic scene. I think I remember this from the trailers. They're on top yeah. of the roof. It's raining. Of course, every jail escape has to have rain. I love their discussion about electricity, though. And I also think it's funny that the zip line actually worked. Yeah. Because you think in reality they would have, like, stopped halfway down because it's not on that much of a decline. No, I know. They would have been hanging in the middle. 
I don't know. I had a Mandela effect moment here because I thought they both jumped over to that line together. Oh. I don't know why. I had it in my mind. Well, then how would a Sly fought face? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't put it together, but I remembered for some reason them both jumping together. Interesting. Grabbing on together. So basically for our listeners, they've got to scale two buildings. they got to get or sorry, they got to get off the top of this building. And the only way down is either jumping, which is death, or jumping to a hanging wire, grabbing a hold of that wire, then swinging their belt over the wire, and then sliding down with the holding on to the both sides of the belt and they slide down zip line style. That's what's going on here. So but they're gonna discuss the electricity of the line is if it's safe or not. Because right now in this storm the lines are crackling electricity everywhere. Mm-hmm. That one. Okay, no problem. We jump to those wires, slide down the other side, and we're home free. That's your plan? Yeah. We're gonna try. You don't know anything about electricity, do you? No. As long as you're only touching one wire, and you're not touching the ground, you don't get electrocuted. Right? I don't know. I don't either. I know I owe you from back there. Uh-huh. But you can go first. Uh-uh. And you still owe me. I know you'd say that. Cash goes first, and he makes it. Tangle's about to go, but he gets tripped up by face. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they have a little fight. Ironically, the fight's very quick. It's just a little bit of a scuffle. Face falls backwards into, again, electricity. Electricity is the theme of the day. <laughs> he holds on to these electric cables or... Two big transformers or something, That's right. right. Transformers, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and he fries. They could have made that a lot more graphic, too, but it's just a bunch of popping and exploding things behind him. Yeah. So they both get off. They're out of the jail. Now they're basically parting ways to figure out how they take down those who frame them. They're going to go their separate ways to their separate missions to take care of things. Tango says uh, how to meet up if they get in trouble in the future. What'd you do? Stop a copy and a Danish? I hate Danish. Come on. we got to get out of here. All right. Nice doing time with you. Yeah, I'll never forget that time in the shower. Cash, listen. <laughs> if it gets too hot for you in the street, go to a club called Cleopatra's. That's where a girl named Catherine. She'll know where to find me, okay? Got it. Hey, Ray. I really do owe you one. Tango told Cash to go to where Terry Hatcher is. And Terry mm-hmm. Hatcher is named Catherine. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you guys catch the Danish line? I'll buy you Danish and... Tango says, I hate Danish. Oh, is that a Bridget Nielsen? It is, yeah. Oh, I did not catch that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Good job, Doug. Now, we have a little sequence here. I won't play it, but we have the crime boss guy talking to his minion bosses on the screen. And I love how the technology, like right now, you guys were talking face-to-face over this internet. There was mm-hmm. no internet in 1989. So how are they teleconferencing this way? And where's the camera pointed on Jack? And where? <laughs> no. Do those guys have a wall of TVs they're looking at too? Are they seeing him? Or yeah, you get what I'm saying? How they do this? It's to show that he has power and money that he's somehow able to communicate screen to screen with someone. This technology did not exist back then. If it did, it didn't exist commonly or talked about that I was aware of. Mm-hmm. Cash goes to what is this place? It's like a place where they're making high tech futuristic weapons. Look at the, look over here. Who, who's this android looking guy running on a machine? Look at that. It's like uh, the Q branch, but for the police. Yes, thank you. That's exactly right. And they're making prototype weapons and stuff like that. And they, yeah, they're testing these futuristic type weapons. Explosions are happening. But who's this guy here? What a funny looking person. Look at that person on that treadmill. Oh wow. 
Oh, there's a skeleton oh, yeah. robot over here. Got in the TV show, we probably would have seen this every week. There would have been another yeah. little gadget. Good call, Craig. Exactly. The quirky, smart guy, and he has this big magnifying glass mounted over his head because he's always investigating and changing wires or what. You know, like Kurt Russell's character mentions about the boot that had a web gun in it because he used that earlier. So he gets special weapons from this guy that aren't authorized. Hey, Gabe. I knew you'd come here. How'd you get out? Long story. Listen, you got something I can change into? Sure, sure. So he's asking for clothes from this guy. I love how he's on the run and on the lam, but he goes to the police station. (laughs) (laughs) I did not put that together. Huh? (laughs) It's probably an off-site location. But it's a police facility. It is. (laughs) So he asked, like, do you have anything I can change into? I just broke out of jail. Do you have anything I can change into? And on the floor is a bunch of ragtag-type clothing. That's what Cash is now looking at. And this is his response. Nice to see we have the same taste in clothes. (laughs) Hey, Gabe, do you need a special weapon? Uh, I need a gun. Big gun. Oh. I know it's big enough for you. Yeah, perfect. What kind of guns are those, Doug? Shotguns? Yeah, like, why is that a big... I need a big gun. Uh, Yeah, we got some shotguns over there. Oh, yeah, these are perfect, man. These are the big guns. Yeah, I don't... mm. (laughs) It's a shotgun. It's pretty standard. (laughs) That's what I thought. I always knew we shared the same taste in weaponry. And what was that handgun he has there? Six hour? I'd have to look at it again. This, this looks like a standard police issued handgun. Standard. Standard, yeah. Yep. Why was that written? Why would you say go over there to get the big guns? And I'm and he's like, Yeah, police police issued weaponry. Thanks, bud. <laughs> police issued, right. <laughs> Anyways. He does mention because I always knew that we shared the same tastes in weaponry, and he's gonna mention the uh, the boot that he was built for him that had a weapon in it or a gun in it. Dave, check out the pooch. Oh, yeah. So he's showing a stuffed dog. It's a new invention for senior citizens for home protection. It's a, gu- it's a stuffed dog with a gun in its mouth. New invention in senior citizen home protection. Uh, well, <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> the gum boots are great. Perfect. Okay, and then later on, the, the dog's head explodes. It backfires, and the head explodes. So... And he just shrugs. Yeah, what are you going to do? Bugs to, to work out. This whole sequence, I guess it's supposed to be funny, Craig? Yeah. You know, it was supposed to set up the quirky Q-like equivalents for the sequels. You know, you're right, Craig. This is crazy. This is a perfect pilot. This is a two-hour pilot. And then we get the reveal of the, uh, the Tesla truck 30 years early, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a bunch of little sequences here that they find evidence. Basically, the reverse happens. Everyone that was bought and paid for during the trial, Tango and Cash go to their residence or whatever. They get evidence to show that they have, uh, through their own coercion on their end, they get from those people the truth of how they were framed. You know, who did this? What's the location of the bad boy base and all that good stuff so they are now able to find out who set us up which of course is jack pounce's character but there is one little sequence here where they're is this guy who is this guy here that tangles with he was one one of the arrested that was there when they got arrested and as we do in every stallone film that's not a rocky film he insults yeah he fat shames their diet knock knock yuck from the look of your diet, it's obvious you're not too interested in counting calories. 
Could it be that you're just too busy counting the money they paid you to set us up? I didn't set you up. I had nothing to do with it. Oh, you think I'm judging you unfairly? Hell yes. I had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Wyler, can we be frank? You're looking terribly anemic. I think what you need is a little iron. I I know you uh, switched those bits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now check out the sequence coming up, guys. Oh, when the door blows up and you see the stunt double? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I know our listeners can't see this, but if you guys go check out Tango and Cash, it's about the hour mark of the film. There's an explosion that happens where the stunt double is clearly not Sylvester Stallone. He looks like more like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> it's probably the second most gratuitous stuntman moment in a Sly movie, the first being in Cobra when he gets ambushed at his apartment. I think you see a full shot of the stunt double's face. <laughs> you know what it looks like? It actually looks like a cross between Jean-Claude Van Damme mixed with uh, Bruce Willis from Die Hard. Yeah. You see his face pretty clearly. Oh, too, yeah. You, oh, yeah. And then it's that typical, he puts his head up, and that's when you see Sly's head. Yeah, they did a good job of putting Sly in the exact position. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it's that. not even close. He's probably like 40 pounds <laughs> lighter than Stallone. Yeah. Like. yeah, yeah. That's a pretty cool stunt, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really weren't careful with this. No, they weren't. Well, they got a great stunt in. They're like, oh, man, this is a... But watch, watch this. Watch the transition to Sly. The head shake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the editor took the rest of the day off after he cut that together. <laughs> now, uh, Kurt Russell's gone to the nightclub. Cash has gone to the nightclub. Now, before I get to it, he was told to go there if trouble was on the streets. But right now, he's got with him the tape that proves that they were framed. He was told to go there if he wanted to f- find Tango. Yeah. I, well, I thought the reason was if it got too hot on the street, is what he said. Well, but obviously he wants to find Tango so they can present this evidence that exonerates them together. Okay. That was my takeaway, at least. Although the, you could think he could find the, get the evidence, present it to whoever needs to it, and then Tango would be made aware. Exactly. We really need to talk about uh, what a lame club this is. Well, they're not nude on stage. So is this a, gen- a non-nude gentleman's club? It's disgraceful, whatever it is. And then she gets the drumsticks and starts playing like Sheila E. Like, it's, it's terrible. I mean, she looks great. Oh, she looks fantastic. Terry Hatcher. So she comes out on stage, Terry Hatcher, to perform her exotic dance, which is not really that. It's more of an aerobic stuff. Yeah, I think Jane Fonda was more erotic in her exercise tape than. Mm-hmm. So. so there's no Catherine there, but then the bartender says there's a lot of Catherines there. Yes. There's a thousand Catherines working here. I know. It's, <laughs> you could argue that the girl was trying to protect the other girls backstage, saying there's no Catherines here. So this he, is you know, somebody's idea of a strip club that's never been to a strip club. Yes. Right. And look at the stage. It's basically like a Broadway stage almost. It's big, elaborate stage. This is a, a set that they um, recycled from Staying Alive. <laughs> I, I thought you might be serious for a second there. <laughs> we can appreciate Terry Hatcher, though. Oh, yeah. She's oh, very fit. I I love the look that dude next to Kurt Russell gives, too. He's up to some sinister shit, man. Yeah, this guy here. Oh, oh, man. What's he barking at? Why why is he mad? Why does he get mad at the guy? Uh, He must really be into the drum solo she does. And he's like, give her the sticks. Give her the sticks already. He's still upset. (laughs) Yeah. So the police have entered the building. How did the police get word that Cash was there? I'm confused about that, how that happened. And here's the cop that's never been to a strip club. Yeah, look at him. Just gawking at her in a bikini. Look, Terry looks great. She does. But if I was on the job, 
I wouldn't be that stunned. I would just look for whoever I'm supposed to look for. He just can't take his eyes off her. Can't take her eyes off of him. <laughs> yeah, like it's mixed messages. Look, he's still staring at her. Well, I think she, <laughs> at this point she's aware that oh. Cash is there and she's creating a distraction for Cash. Which yeah. isn't hard to do. <laughs> no, yeah, this little meatball isn't isn't really getting her. She was throwing the pick. Mm. Yeah, complete credit to uh, Terry Hatcher's fitness ability to do the splits and kick her leg up in the air like yeah, that. Like, she's good. And yeah. this was uh, a couple of years before she became a Bond girl as well. Right. Remember her scene in uh, Seinfeld? Oh, yeah, they're real and they're fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> now, what was this dude doing here? Was he a performer <laughs> or was guy? He hanging out with one of the girls? Like, what was his role? Is he bodyguard, maybe? Yeah, you think if he's a bodyguard, which is probably very possible to have a kind of a guy in the back where the girls are changing. Uh, but he would be Gary Hatcher's size? He doesn't even question Kurt Russell's appearance back there. Yeah, he's not that big of a bodyguard. I th- actually think that was Stallone's stunt double. <laughs> Ooh. It might be. So unnecessary. Okay. We so- get this whole thing where Terry Hatcher wears the bouncer's clothes and helmets to act as a distraction just so we can see Kurt Russell in pink drag. How yeah. long did it take him to get made up like that? This is such an f- infuriating sequence. They elude that Terry Hatcher's a, a lesbian. They make the, you know... The, well, we'll, the play, we'll play it. Don't worry. We'll play it. So, yeah. So, she walks out in her motor kit and then, of course, we have yeah Kurt Russell walk out in his drag outfit as a woman to evade the police this is the whole idea of this is to evade the police right and like you said Craig he would have had to put the heels on the fishnet stocking on the wig the on the makeup mm-hmm. alone and the cops are just scouring the place but never checking the change room the only thing I can think of is Kurt Russell was like I'll do this movie but I gotta do drag Tango and Cash was nominated for three Golden Raspberry Awards for worst actor Sylvester Stallone God. worst supporting actress Kurt Russell in drag <laughs> That's terrible. To the, the Razzie, that's a pretty good category. And worse screenplay. Shocker. Was Stallone possibly nominated multiple times this year? He had other movies out in, 19, in I 1989. Think, I think he's one of the most nominated. I don't know. I, I would have given my vote for this one. The cop stops Kurt and Drag. Ask him if he's uh, into aerobics, I guess. the music playing for that sequence. It's like the Blue Oyster Bar of music at the police academy. Hey, uh, Red. Aerobics instructor, huh? <laughs> hey, bud, get your hands off my property. Any uh, chance of a three-way? Bikes on bikes, eh, Captain? It's such an unnecessary scene. It is. It's crazy. I don't know how that whole sequence didn't end up on the cutting room floor. No. It's a risky move, too, looking right at the cops when you're a wanted man. This would not be written today. You couldn't say that rhyming sequence today. No, you couldn't. That's the same cop that was walking through staring at Catherine. He's a naughty boy. He's a hornball. Can we get right to the, the obvious question here? Catherine's given Cash a massage. We don't really see that at first. And then Tango comes in, and we get the whole Three's Company type moment where he's wondering what's happening. And the dialogue... Now, guys, I don't want to get... I know we get kind of uh, a little inappropriate here. Tango had to assume that they were going in here, right? (laughs) Let's play the audio, and 
of course, Craig, you're referring to the classic Clarice Company situations where somebody will be eavesdropping mm-hmm. on a conversation, and the conversation is completely innocent, but because of the double entendre that we as adults put in our heads, we think they're being – the person listening in automatically assumes it's something perverted. She is only giving a back rub. Now, she is straddled on his backside. His buttocks <laughs> is under her. We only see her top part of her body from Tangle's view. But what's crazy here is keep in mind she is only giving a background. We know this. How she acts and looks doesn't make sense. She does look like she's riding him. Well, yeah. And then also, like, what was going in? Was it the slip disc? Yeah, the disc. The slip disc. Yeah. I I want you to play the audio, and then I want to see something after it that really disturbed me. It does have an O face. Watch it. It is an O face. Because because that's what they need for the scene, Ryan. Tango walks in on their uh, back rub discussion. Kiki. Yeah. Listen to the breathing she does. That's the thing. Listen uh, to her breathing. Lower. Yeah. Harder. I'll just move it around real slow. Look at her face here. Don't stop. No, don't worry. I can do this all night. Oh, God. Prove it. Get a little faster. More. This is good. Oh my god, Gabe, I can feel it going in. Oh, oh it's almost in. Ah, it's all the way in. Oh. Okay, whoa. Yeah. Can we mention the fact that Tango is standing there watching and listening to his sister doing what he thinks is sex? Yes. He doesn't know who's there. That's a great point, Doug, because Kurt Russell's character is hidden by the couch, so he doesn't know who's with his sister. Oops, I, he, she has a date over. I better leave. Why does he stay and listen to it? And then why is he so obsessed with what they were doing? He almost wants to get off on her saying Yeah, it. yeah. It's, ugh. Freeze! Drop the duck. <laughs> Tango. Real great police work. Hey, way to go, Cash. Way to stay on top of it. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? Nice to see you too, Ray. Way to go. You almost nailed your captain. Yeah? Well, at least I saw him. What the hell were you doing in hey, there? I saw him. I was just getting ready to make my move. By the way, your girlfriend. My sister! Gotta... My what? what? My sister. She's your... She... Are you... That's great! I, I don't mean that. I, look, I know it had to look bad. I, look, I never I admit... deliberately punched out anyone in my life. I'm very proud of that fact. But you, I'm going to hammer right through the damn lawn. Oh, really? So he just finished saying he's never deliberately punched someone. He, did he have just a big fight in the jail? <laughs> like, no. So that was self-defense. <laughs> He should say, I've never punched anyone over my sister before. I don't know why they don't change the writing to make sense. Because the guy that was doing the rewrite, who's now dead, probably didn't read the pages that he didn't rewrite. Oh, good point. And the editor and the director and post-production, they can't fix this stuff. It's just, it's insane to me. I Look, I don't work in the movie business, but I'm always fascinated and frustrated equally sometimes when I watch something. How did this miss? How does this go through all these hands and nobody's quality control? There's another part that really bugged me in this scene, too. When Cash goes back into the other room to change or whatever, and Ray has this talk with his sister, and he says he wants to protect her from the filth and scum that he deals with out in the street. And then Cash comes back in, into the scene and goes, well, here I am. And he goes, see what I mean? Like, who enters a room and goes, here I am. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We forgot to mention that Tango, he's rich on the side. He's actually rich because he plays the stocks. Yeah. Because his sister's renting this big house from him. He owns the house. It's a nice big house. That's why he likes the finer things in life. And it's the classic trope, too, where 
Sly's character, Tango, is wearing glasses to show that he's kind of dignified. <laughs> the old glasses trick. Yeah. We're almost at the end, guys. Because the last part of the movie is really just the insane base break-in with the uh, futuristic truck. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure for the end sequence, the screenwriter just wrote, insert 80s factory ending. Yeah, explosions and <laughs> machine guns. Not just machine guns, Uzis. With the abandoned factory, that, that was another big thing in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the quarry. Oh, look at this Bono wig, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's glorious. <laughs> so the captain's here, the Tangle's captain's here, and they've got the tape, everything's coming together. He says, look, I can only hold them off for another 24 hours, so if you want to get these guys, get all the evidence you need or the, to get your revenge, whatever it is, you got 24 hours, and the clock starts now. In addition to that terrible wig, he only owned one suit as well. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It's the same. It's the same outfit every time. You're gonna make a very ugly bride someday. Wow, is that a proposal? Blue one's nice. The blue it is. Sorry about my behavior tonight. I just want you to be okay. That's all. I'm okay. I can't believe all that's happened to you. How'd you get out of prison? Cash. You had a friend on the inside. I didn't want to come here, but I really had no other place to go. Ray, you're my brother. Where else are you supposed to go? The North Pole would be nice. Seriously, what are you going to do? From what Gabe said, maybe you'd be better off turning yourself in, talking to the press. No. So how's the career going at the club? That's great. You're being hunted by some sadistic mystery man, and you're worried about my dancing? No, I'm not worried about anything. I'm just wondering if you needed a little extra cash. I could buy you a bond or something like that. It's a seven and a quarter yield, Catherine. Big money. You help me out more than you need to. No, I don't. No, I don't. I spend so much time with my career, I hardly get a chance to see you anymore. Ray, you have nothing to feel guilty about. I love you. I gotta go. I don't want to put you in jeopardy. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about all that filth and scum I have to deal with out there. Well, here I am. See what I mean? <laughs> Thanks, Thanks God. Let's go. There it is, the... <laughs> it's like the character moment that we... we might have needed an hour ago. It's way too late in the movie for it. Mm -hmm. But that, well, here I am. <laughs> Who enters a room like that? <laughs> I love it. Good catch. Do you guys want to talk about this or no? This part? I, I like the sort of the play on, you know, worst cop, bad cop, worst cop. You see what they're doing here, and it's funny to see Brian James kind of fall for it, and they go from dangling him off the roof to the, the dud in his mouth. <laughs> his face the whole time. with <laughs> Like, he does some great eye acting here. Because you can't really see his mouth because he's got a grenade shoved in it. Yeah, yeah. But his eyes, this whole scene, like I, this is one of my favorite scenes in a movie. I think this is where you really get a good look at the chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, now they're building their chemistry because we're seventy-five percent done the movie, and they've got a little bit of chemistry together. And this is where, yes, a sequel would have. You could just kick off with that chemistry right away without having to build it. So then he basically gives us the information we need to get us to the right. And here's the introduction of the truck first. Yeah, the Tesla. Ooh. And it's oh, funny to listen to my Double armored bulletproof blazing all around. 120 millimeter cannon on the driver's side. Transfer case has torque splitting. It'll seat 60 in five and a half seconds and pull high tens in the quarter. What is that? That is an RV from hell. Care to join me? The body of it just looks like a Chevy pickup, like a 1500. 
Craig, you were saying something when the audio was playing. What were you saying at the beginning there? No, I was saying it sounds like Michael Pollard was just reading that off a script and had no idea what any of it meant. Yeah. For our listeners, so it's, it's like this futuristic, well, at the time, looking, it's just like the A-Team van. It's all decked out with uh, ramming bars. And what I love is they got to drive this thing around town to get to the base of the bad guy. But they got this minigun hanging off. The, imagine if you saw this driving down the street. There's a minigun on the side of the van. No cops pulled them over. This was never called in. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a film flub. If you saw, Doug, you're a police officer. If, yes. If you saw this van driving down the road, would you pull it over? <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> There's a damn minigun on the side. <laughs> I was telling Craig that it would have made more sense had it been written by a smarter team and a better prop department. They were too lazy to have this come out of the van. And shoot. Right, right. Yeah, it's just mounted to the side of it. <laughs> and where's that? The- is, that is lazy. <laughs> Where do you put the ammunition? How does the ammunition get fed from inside the vehicle? Hmm. Yeah, good question. You need a belt of a feed belt of ammunition for that, right? Yeah, and I can't even tell if it's wired. How do, maybe the wiring is through here to communicate to the van. And I love how during the uh, break and entering of the bad guy base scene at the end here, where they're communicating with this tech guy through, again, through the FaceTime computer technology from van to... Uh, that's hard to do even now. There's a sequence at the end where they leave the vehicle because they told him they'd bring it back without a scratch because it's like a prototype police vehicle, right? Right. It's a one of a kind. Right. And, of course, it gets destroyed in their uh, in the film as a classic, classic. oh, yeah, we'll bring it back in one piece, wink. And, of course, it gets destroyed. And But he says, hey, why aren't you guys talking to me anymore? And my question to him is like, dude, you were talking to them face to face like a FaceTime. Well, they're not talking to you because they're not in the vehicle anymore. Why can't you see that? Like they don't even they're not even, they're not even consistent with their own technology, fake technology. It's, uh, is there anything to talk about regarding the explosions and the? It's really standard. If you ever yeah. seen an '80s action movie, you've seen it all. Yeah, you could attack this on the end of probably a half dozen other '80s action movies, and it, you probably wouldn't know how to change anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like a video game. They go through, they get into the base, they beat up all the bad guys. The last three ma- remaining are the two mini bosses, then the boss. And of mm-hmm. course, Boss Man himself, Jack Palance's character, Mr. Perrette, he has Tango's sister hostage. How did that happen? When did that happen? <laughs> and it's it so, I, I hate to say it, the whole Terry Hatcher character in this movie is pointless. Well, uh, not completely pointless. Well, I mean, from a storytelling oh, standpoint. Oh, okay. Sorry. The only thing that would make her character make sense is if you look at this as a pilot, like we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. And you're setting up characters that are going to run through the movie. And the uh, plot would have been like Tango consistently being not supportive of Cash trying to date his sister type joke and how they, they never really connect because Tango's never given his complete blessing. And maybe at some point later seasons that will happen. They get close and then something ruins the moment. This would have been a great TV pilot. Yeah. Yeah, but they got to tone down on the one-liners and the quips. There's a time and a place for it, right? It's not every moment, every line of dialogue doesn't have to be something witty. This fight at the end is, I mean, there's still your share of quips, but this fight at the end is really, it's a really good action scene. We have here is we have Ponytail, English guy. He's got a razor blade to Terry Hatcher's throat, and Mm -hmm. he's going to fight Kurt Russell's cash. Never before seen... 
bad guy comes in who's uh, this karate champ dude fights yeah. uh, Tango. But this is the first time I've seen in a Sly film where he's like kind of fighting martial arts back. Proves my point that if they give Sly a proper fighting trainer, he looks good when he's fighting. There's a couple moments during this fight sequence that Sly with, with the martial arts expert where Sly's doing blocks, chops to the throat and things like that. A little bit more mixed martial artist style, which I, which I appreciated, which they haven't done in other films with Sly because often he just does the power punch power punch like I'm overpowering with my punches in the other fight where he did a really good job of course we haven't reviewed yet was Expendables Part 1 against Steve Austin's character Mm -hmm. when he broke his neck yeah crazy All right. so the last sequence is of course the final boss the final boss yeah and uh, the final boss now has the sister (laughs) he's in a room full of mirrors they don't know which one is real because they have one shot they want to take out this guy with their weapon with their guns and they don't don't understand this Okay, well, let's, let's play it out. Long you know how mirrors lost. work, right? But how yeah, but who, play the game? <laughs> who has that in their house? <laughs> it's a mirror room of some sort. So they're looking, and they don't know which one is which. I do. I leave you with this thought, gentlemen. Great. All you need now is a gun. Got it. Business as usual. Well, you will be a meaningless... All right, hang on. Let's take him alive. He keeps on three. Call it. One. Okay, wow. for our audience, listening audience, they shot Jack Palance in the head, and Kurt Russell shot with his gun boot. <laughs> so he, he he dropped to the ground and was able to perfectly aim a shot to the correct mirror image person mm-hmm. in the mirrors. And they explained how they knew it wasn't the mirror image. Check it out. All right, yeah, she's coming. How'd you know which one to shoot? You saw the ring, right? No, the monogram. Why? Yeah, I was reversing the mirrors. What about the ring? So the wrong hand of the mirror. Are we clever or what? The ring. Was oh, I like the, that. It was interesting because they actually explained that. How did you know? And like, yeah, the, whatever one was not the mirror image. But they each picked up on a different detail. It shows that they're both great at their job, but in different ways. And I love this Terry Hatcher run scene here. Holy smokers! Yeah. <laughs> Place blows up. Classic uh, explosion. Getting it out of the way just in time. Boom! I love it. <laughs> of course, there's a, a bomb in the house. Craig, I love it. I love your analogy that this is a TV pilot because this is the perfect way to end a TV pilot. Here we go. Check out the dialogue here. This is how like CBS ends older well, shows. It looks like there's a lot of new pollution in the sky tonight, and they call it Parette. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just worried about you. Oh, thanks. I'm probably going to lose my arm on account of saving him. Catherine, come on. It's a scratch. Cash, I got sloppy. You stumbled. Sloppy? Tango, I took that hit for you. You know, I can't believe after all I've done for you, you're still ungrateful. Done for me? Yeah. Guys, this is no time to argue. Catherine, you just can't accept that he's a number two cop in LA. It's just very hard for him to hear. <laughs> yeah, dream on, Bullwinkle. Look, you got your version. I got the truth. Mm. Why don't you just admit it, that you guys work well together? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no matter what you say, Ray, I've at least earned the right to date your sister. <laughs> Over my dead body. Deal? <laughs> Freeze frame. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Freeze frame on the high five. Okay. So there you go. 
It's a really weird high five. It is weird. <laughs> if I ever meet you guys in person, which I hope to do one day, and I go, <laughs> we are high fiving, interlocking our fingers. It is like this. <laughs> well, they just shower naked together, and so they did. This mm-hmm. is not a dumpster fire. Not by a long shot. No. It really is a perfect way to end the 1980s cinematically. Because mm-hmm. it kind of rolls up everything that was great about 80s action movies, delivers it in, in one single hour and 43-minute package. I think going into the 90s, it was, you know, your action movies were action movies and your comedies were comedies. Mm-hmm. wasn't a whole lot of mixing of the two. Look, I made fun of a lot of the dialogue and stuff in this, which I still I stand behind my word. Sure. I enjoy the movie. I've always enjoyed it. I've seen this movie dozens of times. It's fun. It's a fun movie. Kurt Russell, man. He, If there was any movie that got me on the Kurt Russell bandwagon as a kid, it was this one. Oh, interesting. Okay. I never saw him in a whole lot before that. I'd have to go back and look at his filmography to see which one, because I knew I already knew Kurt Russell before this one. It might have been Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. For me, it was Big Trouble in Little China. And then before that, my aunt and uncle exposed me and my brother when we were probably too young to see it. Escape from New York, which is oh, yeah, just of course. a cool classic. Mm-hmm. That's right. During our recording, guys, we got a couple more uh, things from Twitter. We got uh, Close Encounters. I thought that was good. Oof. <laughs> Love Story. Oof. Free Willy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that that thread's going to stay alive for quite some time. I hope so. It's fun. That really got some big heat, man. A lot of heat behind that one. I love it. All right, guys. So, yeah, let's close up. Shop here. I enjoyed the movie. It was fun. It was definitely not a dumpster fire. You know, it's our job to critique the film as a film as well, which we did. But at the end of the day, I had fun. I was not bored at all watching this film. It was uh, fun to watch a young Kurt Russell and slide together. And it makes me sad that it wasn't a bigger hit, that we did kind of see more adventures of Tango and Cash. I think it would have been fun to see a 92 and a 95 and maybe a 98 version of the series. So it's too bad that never happened. I'm sure Matt, if you're listening, which I don't think he does anymore. Matt, if you're listening, can you give us some uh, unearthed sequels, prequels, ideas, or whatever there might have been? Uh, some crossover universe stuff. But anyways, uh, old joking aside, I'm sure they're out there. Sly says he wrote something. I would be interested to in seeing that script for real. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Kurt Russell didn't want to do it. No. You've got oh, that cool. fat Claus Chronicles. Uh, oh, yeah. That looks funny now. Yeah. Yep. And Kurt was, of course, amazing in... Uh, He's been amazing his whole career, but he, I loved him in uh, Hateful Eight. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah him and uh, Sly both showed up in Guardian of the Galaxies, too. Oh, that's right. Yes, they did have a mini reunion. That's right. That's right. Kurt had a bigger role in that one, but it was fun. Fun stuff. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Again, I'm Ryan from Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast, and I have another podcast called The Worst of the Best Podcast. You can find those wherever podcasts are sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Craig from the Slycast. Hit up our feed because there's a lot of good content in there. Um, we've got episodes dedicated to all of the Slycast classics that you know and love up through The Specialist. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the episodes that I've done with Doug and Ryan as well. Awesome. Doug from Rocky Minute. You can find our episodes on DoingGenre.com or on any podcatcher of your choice. All right, guys. Thank you so much for doing this at the time of this recording. Happy New Year. And I suspect our next episode will be in 2020. That's crazy. See you next decade. (laughs) (laughs) So long, gentlemen. Take care, guys. Take care. Me and my staff set up a uh, screening last night. Had a good time watching Tango and Cash. Um, Then there's a scene in there 
where you both are walking through a shower butt naked. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, yeah. you know, asses <laughs> wobbling and everything. You're out there. <laughs> you know, yeah, oh, yeah, I bet that was rough. Well, now, <laughs> now, my staff, you know, they start screaming and we took a vote. And, oh. and you won for Bond. Yeah! Let me tell you, he puts a lot of work in them buns, too. Boy, I'll tell you, you know, that's what, see, that's what you get. See, and he kept bugging me, he kept bugging me, he said, what are you walking down here holding your breath for? I said, because we're here forever, babe. Because you don't work out like he does, do you? Let's do it. 